Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What a Time to find out if a podcast after a 3-0 win can still break down into a massive argument. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Alex Smith. You can me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Hey, look, we got all kinds of fertile ground here for giving me a raft of shit. We've got Thomas Party bossing it in central midfield. Not that I ever didn't like Thomas Party, but let's not get into that. Point is, that's what people think I said, and so that's an opportunity to get on me. We've got Cedric providing an assist and playing really well. Uh, another opportunity to have a go, as they say. We've got all kinds of things. Uh, we we have Granite Shaka, who I, I think it's fair to say there are different opinions about the performance there. So yes, it was a thrilling win that we will celebrate and, and possibly devolve into a huge argument. So I hope you will stay tuned to that. I I just want to uh, let everybody know, uh, I've been talking a lot to Nils from Arsenal Editor, uh, fantastic Arsenal fan, Arsenal business, something he started all by himself, built the website by himself, figured it all out, and just really um, have to give him a lot of credit for what he's done, and he reached out and said, hey guys, like, you know, do you mind just letting people know about us, and uh, yeah, looked at the stuff, and it's great. It's designs, like beautiful, huge prints of legends and new players, and there's there's mugs, and there's t-shirts also, and all that stuff, but like, if you want to go to arsenaleditor.com and use Arsenal Vision. Um, as a promo code, you uh, you can get 10% off in free shipping globally. Uh, you can also shop for it at arsenalvisionpodcast.com forward slash shop. I just put all his stuff on our website because I'm just a, a huge fan of what he's doing. So, I mean, Arsblog gave me the idea. He's, Is that that one Nils from the Arsenal? Y- yes, that's it. That's the guy. Yeah. Um, yeah and so, yeah, yeah, use that. And so uh, the one Nils, yeah, one, one Nils to the Arsenal editor um yeah moral of the story is just you know when, when Arsbog started like supporting arsenal businesses which is such an important important thing to do um you know it really got us thinking so we will certainly think of um find other businesses that we can spotlight and we really want to uh, be a positive influence in the community to the extent that we can be and having said all that paul who has already introduced himself is on twitter pause my pants hello pause Woo-hoo. clive's on twitter clive pfc hello clive Hello, hello. Tim, who was stuck uh, talking to me on the Instant Reaction pod, has had it with talking about Arsenal. He never wants to do it again, so he's not here. Uh, uh, Scott will be on with Nanalytics pod uh, this week. And I will just say, since Tim is not here, we're doing the Instant Reaction pod, and we're talking about the Cedric assist, how it was almost over the line. And I shit you not, live on the podcast, 
Tim breaks out, oh, it's like the 1932 FA Cup where Newcastle uh, had a goal that shouldn't have been allowed or Arsenal had a goal that shouldn't have been allowed because the ball went over the end line and the camera angle. And I'm like, stopping. I'm like, all right, stop making this up. Nope. It's a real thing that he knew about from an FA Cup tie in the 1930s. So, yes, like his brain is just a huge Arsenal computer and it's all very troubling. Be honest, Clive. Did you know about that one? Karma's not always instant. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> Was that what crossed your mind when Cedric played that pass, the, the 1932 FA Cup tie with Newcastle? <laughs> no. Uh, Clive might have been around for that one, but I wasn't. No, okay. yeah, no I wasn't, mate. Well, Fair not, not that right. one. Look, a couple of years later, I was. Let's dive into it. I, we can get into the individual performances in a minute, and I've already sort of highlighted, jokingly but seriously, uh, a couple that need to be discussed. But I, I want to talk about the first half a little bit. It's so, so important when you look at these games, I think, to really analyze them objectively, not necessarily with the hindsight of what the outcome was. And I think at halftime, there was a bit of concern, right? There, there was a little bit of concern. And I'm sort of torn because I actually think the concern in this case was maybe unwarranted. I mean, we had seven shots, one big chance. They had one chance that was nothing. We were controlling the game and we were carving them open. So, I, you know, I think that there was cause for optimism. But certainly it, it was not as good as as what we saw in the second half. And Clive, I'm, I'm curious if you have a thought on maybe, you know, was the... Was the first half maybe a little better than it was given credit for, or were there some things that maybe we weren't doing that we needed to tighten up to get the goals in the second half? Yeah, I was one of those frustrated fans at half time. I was a bit grumpy and and I don't I don't think that's totally unreasonable after Crystal Palace, where we sort of, you know, suffered a little bit and then I thought we got Palace in the day when they had their two forwards. They didn't have those two forwards against um, Man City, which is a bit of a blow. And they had their two forwards, so they had their exit plan and they could cause a bit of stress going backwards. And so we didn't get our result and could have lost the game. But against Newcastle, I felt we looked fresher from the first minute. But I was still carrying the luggage of the Palace game in my mind. So I'm thinking, come on, just get the goal, just get the goal. I don't want to have another nil-nil. And so that probably was the reason for many people being a little bit angry at the first half without looking at what they were looking at just what they were feeling with the two games in their minds right so i think that was justified well, i was one of them i wasn't angry i don't get angry too often i wasn't angry but i was definitely thinking come on come on and as i was finishing my halftime tweets i said the next quarter is, is our golden quarter so let's just go out there and do it after halftime team talk we tend to be pretty sharp and that's exactly what happened. So I don't think it's too hard to guess what could have happened. The only reason I said that because I thought it would happen. And it did happen. We came out a little bit sharper, moving the ball quicker, moving the ball vertically. I think this is this would probably come up in the podcast a lot. Um, the verticality of the team has changed. And it's changed due to personnel. And it's changed due to a recognition that we've been quite negative in our passing from players that have been negative in the past and allowed to get away with it and they're changing how they play and I think you know it's not some of those players have been around quite a while and they're changing how they play because the team needs it you know and I think that's going to be a theme of mine actually throughout the podcast we've got more players doing exactly what the team needs at the right time and there's still a long way to go on that but it's a sign of now people playing for, for the team rather than playing for themselves and their past completion stats, right? So, um, so yeah, I think we were a little bit not quite sharp. Aubameyang does his thing, we'll be fine. But we saw it out after halftime. No drama. Yeah, and I, I think, 
you know, I, I want to be process oriented. What I mean by that, Clive, is I, I don't want to say that we were bad in the first half because it was nil-nil. You know, I, I want to look at the process and say, were we pushing them back? Were we carving them open? Were we creating chances? And certainly we didn't do it enough, but we had seven shots. We had the big chance that fell to Aubameyang. And I found myself thinking at halftime, if Aubameyang puts that away, are we looking at that half as a perfectly competent, you know, not exceptional, not swashbuckling, but perfectly competent half where we, mm-hmm. you know, have all the possession, all the deep possession. We, we restrict them to one shot, none on target, no real big chances. I mean, it, it did feel like we had a measure of control and a measure of threat that maybe was missing. You know, like you look at Newcastle, you look at Brighton, the first halves of those games, one shot against Brighton, two against Newcastle, and the horseshoe passing was mostly, you know, at the at the halfway line, you know, or at the the edge of the final third. This, we had some of the horseshoe passing, but it was a little more advanced, and we did create a little bit more. And I think, Paul, you pointed that out in the instant reaction pod, that unlike those games where, to use your toothpaste analogy, you know, it never even got on the brush. Here, it was at least pushed up the tube a bit. It it just didn't result in the chances. I want to just touch on the Aubameyang first half, though. You know, I think in general that when you look at Aubameyang, how do you evaluate whether Aubameyang is playing well or not? For me, it's all down to, is he getting into good goal-scoring chances? If he is, he's prime Aubameyang, because that's his superpower. His superpower isn't dribbling guys, getting past guys, you know, with the ball. His superpower isn't assists and creating chances and scoring from 30 yards out. His superpower is 1A, prime zones, getting on the ball in the box with chances to score. And you know if he does it enough, he gets the goals. That's how he gets goals. And the criticism of Aubameyang for me recently hasn't been that he's not taking his chances. It's been that he's not getting his chances. But in the first half, he did get the chances. And I thought that, you know, while obviously it's disappointing not to convert them, the mere fact of him getting into those spots and getting on the ball in those spots was an improvement, and ultimately that proved to be the case in the second half. So do, do you sort of take the approach with Aubameyang that as long as he keeps getting into those positions and getting on the ball in those positions, then everything will be right in the world long term? Moi? Yeah, toi. Uh, yeah, very much so. And it, it, in a way, like he, he's a very simple player for me in, in many ways. Like him not being playing well recently by your definition, which... I would agree with is about him getting chances and him getting chances is an Arsenal problem, not really an Aubameyang problem. Now, maybe he, he maybe didn't quite carry himself the way he could have. Maybe there was a little bit more he could have done individually, but it's basically pretty binary. We have started creating far more opportunities. We're playing further up the pitch. Toothpaste analogy kicks in, but we're basically playing in their final third ever since Smith Rowe, Saka and Laka worked out how to play uh, ping pong ball with each other and it gets us up the pitch and we're we're more vertical to steal Clive's word and we're moving quicker between the thirds and guess what miraculously Aubameyang has decided to be in better positions getting better chances and he got quite a few of them in this game and he put two of them away and uh, sometimes one can overanalyze things. Don't 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 want to say that put us out of the podcast business, but it's about creating chances for that guy. He's he's still got the physicality. He's still got the eye for it. I mean, why would we think otherwise? I mean, eventually he won't have, but until that happens, I'm not you know I'm not buying into it. There'll be a day when he doesn't. This ain't it. This. This isn't the season. I don't think next season will be the season. Create the chances. That guy will ghost into the positions and put them away. 
He's not a brilliant finisher. He's a good finisher. He finishes at about uh, XG. So give him lots of XG. He'll score lots of goals. You don't need to overthink it. Um, he, you know, he's got great movement. He, so get it up the pitch. He'll end up in those spots. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, you know, lo- looking at the the way we played in this game, Paul, like I, you know, I, I'm, I, I definitely see a, a big difference in, in what we did in the start of the second half in terms of uh, really turning that dangerous possession into dangerous chances. But I, I think we have to talk about central midfield. And, and I'll start with you uh, before we go back to Clive, just to say that the Thomas Party performance is an exceptional one. Um, but, but I think I can't help but view it in the context of playing alongside Granite Shaka. And I know that you and Clyde both have very specific um, opinions about Shaka as a partner for Party. So before we just focus in on Party specifically, is there a reason why you, you liked that partnership and the way they, they gelled together? So I wouldn't get carried away with it. I thought, obviously, Party was great. Um, fantastic. He's play- Genuinely fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he's playing like I have hoped he would based on my little bit of of looking at stuff you know this was kind of the thomas party i hoped we were getting and we really saw it in this game which ha- was always going to create the well what where does that leave granite jacka and uh, i heard you know i've seen one or two people saying that he doesn't accommodate playing with other people i don't know that that's right i think we've seen a couple of games where he's let sabios shine or whatever there haven't been enough of them um and that's not all down to him uh, so I think he was pretty good at just accommodating party and, you know, he, he'd let party take the spotlight and party was very central a lot of the times, but they found an accommodation. Sometimes Chaka would push up a little bit. Sometimes party would push up a little bit and they're finding their balance. And because party can handle uh, pressure in the midfield, it's, it's automatic that other you, you don't press one player but not the other at the end of the day. You gotta press a midfield. I mean you can target a guy, but you're either pressing or you're not. So the fact that he's a pretty press resistant player, I think augurs well for the chances that uh, Chaka will have a little more time and space in the future. And as long as he's looking upfield, he's generally pretty good. Um so I thought Chaka was, you know, pretty good. Uh kept it ticking along. Um, let party do his thing, and overall, it was a very functional uh, pair of pivots. And I know a lot of people kind of got stuck into Chaka for various aspects of his game. But you know, Chaka is always going to be Chaka. There's going to be things he's a little ploddy on. <clears throat> There's going to be one or two chances to go for it that he doesn't take. Um, but he he can still pass. He still does pass. Uh, he's pretty good at hustling if the hustle's upfield, if it's pressing. Um, So give him a good partner. It's a shame he needs a good partner. It'd be great if we had, if as a CM, he could really do it on his own plus one other, but he does need a good partner and we don't have a lot of balance with the other partners. Elneny is pretty good, but there's not enough sizzle between the two of them then. Um, So I'm just, it's more than I'm interested to see how it plays out. Party shined in this one. I think Jack was happy to be a compliment to him 
and did pretty well in that. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go a bundle on Chaka in this game. He did some good things. There were one or two times he was still a bit stodgy. Mm. Uh, but party shined, and I can live with that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a fairly beefy, muscular midfield too, okay? One of them ain't that quick. But uh, <laughs> to, you to don't look politely. at them and say, we're going to rough <laughs> them up. Yeah, look, I, I want to be clear about something, right? Like, you win 3-0, it worked. <laughs> okay, it worked. Yeah. Um, do we need to upgrade the person playing next to party? I don't think that can be argued. I don't think Granite Shack is the way forward, and I don't think anyone on this podcast would argue that. And I, I don't even think there's a need to debate who he is at this point in the game uh, in his career at Arsenal. I, I think, Paul and Clive, I'll, I'll turn it over to you to, to kind of expand on this, but the issue for me is I look at the game when it was nil-nil, and I look at the game when it was one-nil, two-nil, game state kind of stuff. At nil-nil... Party was taking responsibility to find Smith Rowe in pockets of space, to find Saka, to find Aubameyang pop, popping into central spaces. <clears throat> There's a great little moment where Party just gets the ball, one touch to clear his feet and get around the man marking him and then fires it into Aubameyang sort of diagonally into a central space at the top of the box. Nothing comes from it, but it's the type of dangerous pass that can turn into an attack. You know, when you look at Party's top pass combinations, other than Shaka, and they're Oba, they're Saka, they're Smith Rowe, and you look at Shaka's, and it's Holding, and it's Louise, and it's Tierney. Not that passing to Tierney is a bad thing, but we know that's where Shaka wants to go, right? Left left wing, spin it up the wing to the fullback, which is kind of all our attack had been previously. And I think Party gave us the variety, gave us the access to the forwards. I'm not asking Shaka to create assists. He created no, no shot-creating actions uh, with his passes in this game. But like at least accessing some of those more dangerous players in spaces where attacks can be built. And it, it's the will, the thing about Party's performance, it's so eye-catching to me, uh, uh, Paul. It, <clears throat> pardon me, Clive. I made it through three podcasters before I got to the right one. Um, Clive, when Party gets the ball, it's one touch to clear, one touch to control, and the next touch is forward, whether that's a carry or a pass. For the Aubameyang assist, the pass isn't the spectacular thing. It's a great pass. But I've seen Shaka be able to make that kind of pass, right? Long up the wing into space. It's the touches to get clear of the marker to burst forward. The second touch is forward and away. And that sets Aubameyang on his run. That indicates to the forwards, get going, we're going forward. You always talk about regain, retain. He regains, he retains, and then he goes. And it's that third piece that I think our midfielders have lacked. They regain, they retain, they retain it some more, they retain it some more, they retain it some more, and they go back to the center back. Party's second touch is forward, whether it's a carry or a pass. And I wonder, uh, Clive, if that's if that's a distinction that you really notice in this game. Because for me, the intention to play forward by party was something that really stood out to me as different from what we see um, consistently from our central midfield. Yeah, to be fair, I noticed it before he came. Right, So I've got some pretty strong views on this player as a centre midfielder. I think he's very, very good. I couldn't think of another player that was more perfectly suited to us in the centre of the park. And sometimes you just walk into a room and think, that's the room for me. I'm needed at that club. They haven't got anything like me. And that's quite clearly obvious, even though he's played two and a half, three games, wherever he is. And so his first touch is one of his tricks. Because his first touch is so good, his second touch is obvious. You know, and, and his first touch is so good, the ball's out of his feet, exactly where he needs it to be to play the vertical pass that you need to see. There's none of this. I'm, my first touch is to control it. My second touch is to move it away from the pressure. My third touch is to go backwards. Because what we've seen is organised defences just grab that. 
right? So watched Liverpool game at the weekend, right? And I was really taken aback by the directness of both teams, really. I know Man United were focused on the counter-attack, and, but Liverpool, when they had a chance to ping it, they pinged it. They passed the ball where the opposition didn't want you to pass it. And we're doing that a lot more now with this group. And parties only added to it. And I think, I listened to the podcast you, you did last night, which was really good, by the way. And Why, thank you. D- despite my, my raving, my ranting and raving in the stock down section. <laughs> All this, you did, I'll come back to it later because okay. there's a couple of bits there <laughs> that I thought was really Meat on really the good. bone, okay. <laughs> and I do, but I do think there needs to be a little bit of clarity about the type of player that we bought. I know there are issues around, from particularly from the stats community, around the where we're all about buying party. But I look at it from a footballistically kind of kind of thing. I look at it that we need this player. Yes, I'd love him to be 24, but he's 27, and but we need him. I look around the league. I don't see anyone better than him in that role. I generally don't. I really mean that. And this will come apparent if he stays fit. We will not want it. We will not want anyone else in our centre midfield. Real quick, want to get used to him. And so I know there's an argument there and it's a valid argument around spend, where you're going to be in two, three years' time. It's a valid argument. But football-wise, we have basically got a 27-year-old Thiago. The way he receives the ball, he hasn't he got, hasn't got quite enough disguise, but the way he dominates the pitch of his presence, knowing where the ball's going to drop, knowing where it's going to be, his calmness on the ball, how, how he makes other people feel calm. And it, it was really interesting because before the game, I was worried about Shaka, but not massively. But I felt in one of the earlier games, it may have been Leicester, he um, he tried to take over the show. So I was worried about the two alphas playing together. But the first thing I did last night was look at the pass combinations. And Shaka's number one pass combination was to party. Party, yep. Mm-hmm. And that means he's not saying he's deferring because he still had his 100 touches. That's the way he is. But he's recognizing this guy can do stuff. That's a party plays on the slant. And he knocked it to him and off we went. And I mean, if your number one passing combination is on the slant to your partner who's going forward, it's, fine. it's no surprise we look more vertical, was it? Mm. You know what I mean? And, and I think these little details are really important. When I look at the statistics now, I'm trying to look at it and say, okay, that's great. That's, a, that's an indicator. But then what you highlighted earlier is really important. That pass to Aubameyang, it's just one pass. But it's the pressure he had to get out of, people rushing him, they had their two forwards playing against him. Was it Wilson and Carroll trying to press Shaka and party? And he got away from that and ping over top. We're off and running to the races. Green grass, Aubameyang. I agree with your point about his movement, by the way. His movement is how I recognize his form. Mm. When he starts floating across the grass, you know he's back. Forget the rest, it'll all come. Flying across the grass, bang, goal, laces. And I think party, the whole set midfield thing, I think is really important. It's the second time this season I felt we've got a proper centre midfield. You know, May night was the other game, and this game was was again this game. And I think I know statistically, I know that Sabias and Party is the numbers game. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I know I've looked at the numbers. I know that if you look at the best numbers, Party owns them and Sabias owns them. So people want to see them together. Mm. But we don't own Sabias. I'm not bothered. I, I get your I point. Yep. See- mm-hmm. I want to see the guys with the contracts play. And then he's coming to the end of his 
He's rain arsehole, shall we say? And I, don't, I thought he was very good when he came on. Are we going to call that a rain? Really do we want to call? Do we want to call that a rain? Can we call it like a sojourn <laughs> or a, an Airbnb? Oh, or I'm so glad you pulled me up on that. Other <laughs> Discord boys would have me on that one. <laughs> so I'm so glad you pulled me up. Um, he's time at arsehole, shall we say? He's coming yep, to prefer end. that. <laughs> and um, and and it's, and that that's fine. No problem. Seven million quid. Cheers, mate. Thanks a lot. We probably get seven million for you on the way out to Turkey, right? So, thank you very much. So I thought you did really well. So, Chakram Party. These are the ones we need to invest in in our own minds when we're trying to analyze where we're going, because they're the ones with the contracts. They're the ones we own, and the and the other two are out the door. You know, and then some people want want Chakra out the door. And if we are talking upgrade, then let's have that conversation. What does that upgrade person look like? What attributes do we want? What do you need to add to that midfield CM4? Because we will need four to rotate. So I think this is really the next conversation, which I'm sure we're going to have over the next few weeks. Mm, and and I, look, I, I just think that that was a super, super elite performance from Thomas Party, And I, I want to sort of get to how the performance changed a little with the lead. Because I, I think one of the interesting things is we played with the lead differently in this game. We played with a joy. We played with an excitement. We played with players who wanted to go get into the box and get another goal. They wanted the third. They wanted the fourth. They wanted the fifth. I think that Newcastle were beaten, and that was clear. You know, we, we have this incredible statistic about the amount, percentage of our goals that we score right after halftime, which is good. I said this in the instant reaction pod, but I think it, it shows that Arteta is coaching them up at halftime and that that coaching is making a difference. And and you just see the, the way... The team isn't measuring every pass so carefully, isn't being so nervous about conceding at the other end. The game isn't going to be so tight. The first half, as, as much as I thought it was an improvement, it still had that tightness, that unwillingness to to just sort of crowd the box and go get a goal and, and play with that joy that we had with the lead. And I, under, I understand, by the way, it's easier to do that when you're 2-0 up and comfortable, but we sort of need to Do you think that was find, a major yeah. change, Edith? Do you think that was a major change, that the instantaneousness of the passing, was that the thing for you that you saw just after half time? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely think there was some of that. And I think, look, it is, it is easy. We had 20 shots in this game, but we did have the seven shots and the big chance in the first half. So uh, the first half, I just thought it lacked, again, like you're saying, ur- urgency is a word that we use too much. I don't know if it's urgency. I think it is... It is a willingness to put more resources into the attack. Cedric started to get forward more in the second half, um, which allowed Saka to come a little more central, where he was a little more devastating, I felt. But, well, Paul, before we move off of the the midfield duo, I think you wanted to just add a little coda to to Clive's point about the partnership. Yeah, so I think you like your point's really interesting on the limited passing uh, Chaka had in terms of who he passed to, Tierney, um, party holding Luis yeah. and look we all know he he'll have a tendency to pass back a little too much but when you look at where he played on the pitch you know Smith Rowe Laka and Saka are all kind of drifting to one side there was almost a division of labor labor party you mostly hit these guys over that side Chaka was playing it up through Tierney and to Alba a bit and that was basically his side of course they're not there's no demarcation that stops you doing something different. And occasionally, Chaka would ping it to the other side, uh, which he does for the third goal, actually. He opens up that whole side, and they, they play up that side with a, a little discontinu- in the, discontinuity in the middle of it before, you know, um, Cedric's running in along the, uh, the, the baseline there. So, 
I think it, I, I'm not saying you're not right. You are right. I, I think it's one must understand that, yes, it's partly his limitation, but also on the job description for the day. That was who he was supposed to hit. And, you know, I think he did fairly good at it. it it's one to watch and see how it develops. It's not necessarily in itself bad or good. But Tierney was who he was supposed to hit, and that's how they were supposed to tag along that side. Tierney with Alba, and and like, you know, he, Arteta likes that left-sided passer on that side, so there's a reasonable chance we're going to see a lot of Chaka over there. And um, we now have three areas we attack through, through the middle with Laka and Smith-Rowe, uh, up the right with the young lads and Laka, and an overlapping fullback. Uh, when Tierney isn't forward, but definitely on the left, Tierney bombing forward, and now teams can't stop us by stopping Aubameyang because we'll come up the right-hand side and he'll come in from the left, we'll come up the middle. Um, so it's all good. We'll have to see how it develops. Y- you know, it, is it Chaka holding us back or are we just leaning into the fact that he can really zip that ball up the wing or ping it to the other side and open up the other side? So we'll see how it develops. Um, yeah, and, and I'll turn it back over uh, to Clive to finish on this. I'll just say yeah. this: if you if you have a way to look at a pass map, whether two scored or, or stat zone, I strongly recommend look at the Shaq pass map and look at the party one. The thing that will jump out at you so much: a few things, the centrality, but also party went equally to the left as to the right. He sure. he sees the whole pitch, and I think Shaka because of his one footedness and his inability to get the ball out quickly. He goes to the side that he's more comfortable with more often, which is the left. Now, I'm not saying that isn't partly by design. It may be. But I think defensively speaking, if you have two central midfielders who can see more of the pitch and attack both flanks, you create more problems. Shaka definitely feels much more comfortable going up the left flank, which, fair enough. Yeah. But part party, mm-hmm. you see the difference in his passing. He varied it. it it's, it's central. Yeah. It's left. It's right. It's, it's whoever's open. It's the best available option, which gives you a lot more flexibility in the way you attack. So, Clive, you want to sort of finish up on that and we'll, we'll move on. Cause I, yeah. I want to make sure, look, we better wax poetic about Smith Rowe and Sacco a little bit of this podcast as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I, I do. That... And I do want to come back to your point, Elliot, on the, on the first half, second half and the attacking yep, flow. Let's do it. Yep. So Clive, you want to finish up on the partnership? Yeah. Let's be, let's be honest, right? So party's got more golf clubs in his back. Yes. You can just see that by the way he swings his foot towards it. I mean, most left foot has got a beautiful left foot. Shaka's got to be the only left footer that really, when he kicks it, it looks ugly. <laughs> but he gets where it's going to get to, right? It's just a, it's just an eye thing, really. I think the key thing with Shaka and Party is Shaka, for when he plays with Party, I think he feels he hasn't got to do all of the jobs. I think he feels he could just do his job, and he just, I think he'll continually look calmer, knowing he's got a partner that can read the game better than him probably pass it in a more varied way than him. Shaka pass it. When you watch Shaka tackle, sorry, watch how he tackles within his circumference. So what he does is he stands there, someone comes to him, he doesn't move his feet, he sticks his leg out. Big leg. Right? So if you go outside his circumference, he's toast. When parties, people run at party, he can move his feet side to side, he can go laterally, and he can take you outside of his circumference. That's why his tackling stats are so good. Right, so and that's why he's standing up with the ball because he moves his feet beforehand, so we get transitions. The party is a transition monster. Now, this is going to benefit Shaka because I think he gets all. I've got to lead the team. I've got to be ready there. I've got to put out fires. I've got to do this over here, do that over there. With this guy, I think he's going to calm down 
and just put that big left diving boot on that ball down the line. Bang, bang, bang. If he does that 40 times a game, we're going to be in business because he can fit it. Be calm with where he's passing because we know he can't do it. He can't switch the play like he used to, but he can fit that left-hand side. And it's okay because we've got someone else now that can do more with the football in more situations, under pressure, not under pressure, chips, fades, switches, verticals, a whole lot. Right, So it's all good. It's a team game, right? It's all good. Yeah, I would say this, right? I mean, think think about it this way. We probably had, how many possessions do you think we had in this game? 50? 30? Four, how, many, how many times do you think we had possession in the game? I couldn't even really hazard a guess, but it's got to be around that amount, right? Um, well, our possession percentage, you mean? No, no, just number of possessions. You know what I mean? Numbers, number of times we had the ball in, in the game, right? You have a possession, I have a possession. How many do you have? Yeah. You know, maybe maybe 30 in a game or, or 50? Yeah, probably one every two minutes if it's going back and forward. Yeah, so, so let's say you have 40, 45 possessions or so. Think about this for a minute. You got to get a goal with with one of that those 45 possessions, or ideally, in this case, three of those 45 possessions. So, you know, every possession is a chance. Now, every single possession, there's an opportunity to score a goal. It may take prime Messi to find it. It might take prime Francis Coughlin. It's so easy, okay? Got to get a Francis Coughlin dig in Good there man. just to tr- trigger man. Paul. But here's where I'm going with this. I know it feels like I'm going around the bend, but just hear me out. I think the frustration I had with Shaq, especially in the first half versus Thomas Party, is the number of possessions where an attack was on, an opportunity was there, and his unwillingness to play the, the ball or his inability to play it correctly or the time it took him to get it out of his feet lost that opportunity. And there's only so many. So there was one where Aubameyang is in acres of space on the left. And it's the, it's the pass, you know, if Shaq is going to play, it's the pass he should be able to play, right? Put it out in front of Aubameyang. First half or second half? First half. I, I think it's a first half pass. Yeah, I'm, I'm almost certain. Put it out in front of him. Let him run onto it, easy as can be. And he sells it short. He sells it short. Another one. And, yeah, and it gets, it gets cut out really easily. There's another one where Tierney's overlapping. Again, the pass he thinks Shaq has got this in his locker all day long. Just play it up the left, into space, and he plays it out for, for a goal kick. He plays it too heavy. And then there's one, he intercepts the ball. We've been talking a lot about we need to press more, get turnovers more, and he intercepts the ball. And what does he do when he gets the ball from a turnover? And it, it's so consistent. That what's interesting is seeing the contrast with Party. He gets it, he immediately turns around and gives it backwards, right? There was another one where Party does this awesome little tricky move to get around a player and slides it to Shaka just a little ahead of him in the center of the pitch. Shaka turns around straight back to holding. And that's what I'm talking about. It's these possessions where you get into a dangerous place, the ball has progressed, or you turn it over in a dangerous spot. And the first, Thomas Party's first touch is to control and second touch is to go forward. And I think in this game, especially in the first half, where we just needed that extra sharpness, I think a lot of the attacks broke down, not because the final ball wasn't there, but that opening ball that Shaka had that was available, he didn't play. And so... It, I, I may have killed him a little too much in the instant reaction pod, to be fair. A guy plays 100 passes at 90%, great. Kept it ticking over. Party did the thing. We win 3-0. So why why bother? I think it's that looking at the way Granite Shaka played when we had the lead, he is a good time player, Clive. He he was on it. He's spinning it around. He's kicking it with confidence. It's getting where it needs to go on time. But at 0-0, I, I felt it lacked that that accuracy, that timing, that weight, that... that um, 
sort of uh, penetrative quality that, that we got from Party. And so that's all I'm saying. We, I'd like to see more of what I saw from him up 2-0, up 3-0, when we're at 0-0, and, and those attacks are breaking down because we're not getting it quite right. So, uh, you know, and, and again, let's be clear. This is a player we know who he is, what he can offer, and the idea that we need to see him change and evolve into something else is probably yeah, a little silly. That's what, I was gonna, that's what I was gonna say. We know who he is, but I will give him credit. I thought he had a very good game in this game, and I thought he learned during the game. Mm-hmm. I could see his game style changing. This is probably the first time we've seen these two together properly, starting the game, maybe second time. I was really encouraged. You know, I was really encouraged at the relationship they're starting to build. So let's give this one a bit longer. Look, I personally would like to see something else in that position as, as we develop and maybe we could go younger and then develop that player in next season. But we all know this guy. He isn't going to change. He is what he is. But yesterday, I thought he did fine. I thought he did some really good stuff in the games of Manifish team. And um, But I think the encouraging thing, Elliot, is the two together. And I think... We've got a string of games coming up where he's going to get tested. Mm. And I think we can get a much clearer view on the the urgency, what you can do, your technique, where we pass, on the break, slightly deeper against better tides. It's going to be interesting to watch this develop. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, mate. I really am. I think it's not, it could be more promising than maybe I've even given it thought for. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see it. I, I think that we will... We will we will learn a lot about this team because they've recovered from a low ebb and and I like what Andrew Arsblog said on the Arscast, which is what we did over this run, you know, the thirteen points from fifteen. If we're being honest, is what we should do over this run, right? I mean, we did what we needed to do, what we had to do. That doesn't mean you take it for granted. Certainly not from where we were in our low ebb, but we did what we needed to do. So now we get to see: does this get confirmed as a renaissance, or does it get rejected as a renaissance over the run of games coming up? where, and I will read it out later, but we have a really tricky run coming, and we've got all the players in, we found some things out, we found this 4-2-3-1, we've got Thomas Party back in, Smith, Rowan, Saka kicking on, Martinelli now available. So a lot of a lot of signs point to stonks rising, and we will see if the stonks continue their bull run uh, as we get into this tough period. And as we finish off just on this period, I mean, Paul, one thing that you asked me is what was different second half? I do think... We were just that well, little I was, bit. I didn't ask you. I, uh, I was about to tell you. Uh, you were about to tell me. So, so let me tell you first, and then you tell me if you agree. The, the one thing at the start of the second <laughs> half that I definitely think we were doing a bit more, I I think there was a little more willingness to just press him a bit. I'm not saying we were doing the full, you know, um, Klopp, gig and press in, in his peak kind of thing. But we, we pressed a bit more. We took the ball off them, uh, up the pitch a little bit more. And I think that allowed us to turn the screw, get the goal, and go on from there. So do you think that maybe we saw just a little bit of the addition of that that pressing that we wanted to see to, to help unlock uh, Newcastle? And, and maybe that was an addition in the in the early part of the second half? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I joked. I, I don't actually see that much difference in the first and the second half apart from results. There was a bit more zip. There was a bit more tempo. Mm. Uh, we're a bit more aggressive because we had to be, right? right? We didn't have 90 minutes anymore. We had 45. We're a little fresher because we just, like both games we start, or both halves we start fast. The first minute or so, I know you can't really talk in minutes, but but fuck it. Uh, the first minute, we're out of the traps uh, like a greyhound in this one. Um, and like this, 
plenty of good play in the first half that just should have come in, come to a little more. Like there's uh, uh, around 24 minutes, seen as we've listed all the things Granite Xhaka did not do and all the opportunities. He wands one in from the left and, and pings and hits uh, Smith Rowe, who has a lovely first-time touch, but unfortunately there's nobody ahead of him. There's lots of good moments in the first half that could have turned into something like the second half. We just give it a little bit more zip in the second half. It's that whole tempo thing, which is that mysterious thing. I mean, if you could just say, oh, well, we changed this one thing, they'd all be at it, but we just zipped it more. We had a bit more uh, tempo, a bit more movement. We'd leaned into it a bit more because we had to. As, as time goes on, you've getting closer and closer to nothing left to lose because a draw wasn't an option for us. And we were a little bit more and more aggressive and people assumed the ball was coming and made the run. That's the only difference I can really see between the first and second half. We committed more to it. People assumed the run would be made and and made the pass more aggressively. Uh, But they're pretty close, the first and second half. The first half's good. You know, I've looked at it again. It's a good half. We look like a team that's about to get into the penalty box and score, and in the second half, we get into the penalty box and score. Mm, yeah, and that's fine with me. I Again, I think we pushed a little bit more up the pitch. I think Cedric was able to to progress the ball pitch a little more, just, just get into more advanced positions. But overall, I, I do agree. I think the extent to which the first half was lamented and the second half was celebrated maybe is a, a greater um, chasm in, in terms of the reaction than in terms of the actual performance. So... Uh, while we are talking, can I uh, can yeah. I add one last thought as I as I wrap up, which is like one of the questions was, can Arteta actually coach an attacking team? Uh, is he any good at attacking play? Can he coach attack? And I don't know if he can yet, but we're attacking at the moment, and we look pretty zippy, and I'm enjoying our football. Uh, is that because of the players we're selecting rather than the coaching? I don't know. I guess we'll find out over time. But we seem to be in attack. You know, it was. Uh, do you see the Monday Monday Night Football analysis? The the Neville and Carragher. No, uh, I, I try. I try to avoid any analysis that could leak into mine and sound intelligent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you might enjoy this. Did you see it, Clive? Oh. He's he's just full on ignoring. I did. I saw some of it. I saw the Smith Rowe bit and yeah. Um, Arsenal yeah. fans should go back and, and and sniff it out because it was really enjoyable to hear them wax lyrical about our play. Mm. And yeah, it was funny that they they picked on Smith Rowe, but he was kind of that's where they spent the time. They were talking to him, analyzing him. They absolutely fucking love him. Yeah, and we're gonna get. Um, think, yeah, mm. on the yeah. attack piece, mm-hmm. I think. I've, I've never bought into the Arteta couldn't um, do attack. What I want to know is how we're going to attack. What's going to be our attacking style? Are we going to be a, a halfway line possession team like City? Or are we going to be a pressing team, counter-pressing team? Um, I'm not sure what our attacking style is yet, but we're, we're just seeing our signing play. We've seen a bit more transition, seen a bit more verticality. Seeing the front four diamond with one fullback normally joining, although sometimes it can be two. So we're seeing five up in that way. But we're starting to see the start of his team, I feel. When he first came in, he came in with a 4 2 3 1, the very first thing he did. He's spoken, not to English press, but he's spoken about being a 4 3 3 team eventually. That would be interesting. 
I'm looking at Man City. They're four two three one at the moment. People are playing a double pivot a lot more. Let's see, right? Let's yeah. see what style we turn out to be. Let's not put too many things out there because it changes on personnel. This guy Smith Rowe, none of us are talking about him in August. You know, about being this player. So things happen that can change your <laughs> thought process. <laughs> no, Wait, we, you got we, something we, in your throat, we, we, we Paul? Like you can him. just, you can just mute us, your microphone, buddy. <laughs> we all liked him, but none of us could see. Well, I did. Well, let's put it this way. I could see him between Paul, just take a lozenge, man. It's fine. <laughs> I sorry, Cla- Clive's trying to make a point. We're just having... Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so things happen, don't they? Things happen. We know none of us were picking Saka for the right hand side, even though he he's scored against Wolves, for example. <laughs> in some right hand side. I, I so, can mute yeah, you. I, think, I can literally do that, Paul. Sorry. Go, go ahead. Yeah. So, and I think this is what happens. Sometimes it just changes in football, right? What, what's in front of you changes your thought process about how you want to set up your team based on players' forms, based on their simplicity of their game, based on how they mesh together. Mm. And I think you know, I think there's much more to come. I'm still not convinced about our skipper being on the left. I'm still not convinced about that. I think I think the left sider, for example. But it's going to be so. I cannot wait to see this settle down into something consistent and sustainable with with um, backup to the first choices and where you don't lose the style and you show a different side to your attacking face. So mm. it's so much more to come because we've got so much housekeeping to do in the squad. But yeah, I can't wait, I, man. I must admit, come. I, I, I will tell you this. I hope that the players show the kind of perseverance that you showed in trying to make your articulate and eloquent point while Paul tried to uh, make sure that everyone was aware of his omniscience and I... Uh, chimed in with inane humor. So I, I do appreciate you pushing through that that awkwardness to make what was, uh, in the end, ultimately an important and well-stated point. Uh, look, I want to wax lyrical about, about the young players. I, I think that is a really important thing to do. What I don't want to do is wax my privates. And I think it's pretty clear that that would not be uh, something that any of us would want to engage in. And most of us don't. I mean, some of you do. Some of you listening, maybe you wax. And, you know, God bless you if that's what you want to do. I don't know if you're allowed to do that right now uh, with the shutdowns. So maybe your situation needs to be resolved. Uh, uh, if you're not waxing, then, you know, it's probably just the rusty old razor in the shower situation. You know, that's no fun. So I'm going to make this painless. Literally, this is, this advertisement and the experience. Go to manscaped.com. Put in promo code ArsenalVision. Get the lawnmower 3.0. Get 20% off in free shipping. Send me a picture of it. We'll talk about you on the podcast or send me a picture. Don't, no, don't send me a picture of the Shave Privates. Just just the lawnmower. I want to be clear. Let's let's make sure we're not getting into bad bad territory here. I'm not, not looking for any dates. Uh, at least, you know, my, my, my wife has ex- expressly uh, rejected that proposal. So, yeah, let's keep this safe and sound and personal and private uh, because that's what this is about. Look, I, I, uh, I have the product and I use it. Not that you want to hear about that. But what I will tell you is... The way I used to have to do that stuff before was horrible. It was horrible. It was something that I did the dumbest ways imaginable. And now I have this thing with this awesome battery that never cuts. It never pulls. It has this awesome ceramic blade. The battery life life is long. It works in the shower. So look, if you never want to hear me do this again, there are two ways. First, you can sign up to our Patreon and get ad-free episodes, and then you never have to hear about privates being shaved. Or you can just go to manscaped.com, promo code ArsenalVision, get the 20% off, get the free shipping. And tell me enough. I've done it. I've done it. You can shut up now. Which is something that people shout at the podcast when I'm talking generally. So why should this moment be any different? But yeah, it is really just an awesome product that you'll love. I mean, at the end of the day, this is easily the most awkward sponsorship to have to read about. But 
if you really think about it, your eyebrows, your chest, your, your privates, whatever it is, you do it. You, you, you groom the stuff. So you should have a tool that's designed for grooming it. It just seems obvious. All right, manscaped.com, promo code Arsenal Vision. These are getting weirder, uh, and they will continue to get weirder until you just go ahead and do the thing. Anyway, guys, is that enough of that, I think? Hopefully. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What, I mean, one, easily, easily one of the most awkward Good. ones so far, right? I, I, think it's, I think it's up there. Um, okay, look, let's get into Emil Smith-Rowe. And uh, I'm going to start with Clyde because Paul did not see this coming, didn't really know anything about the player, and I think it's fair to say that uh, he should collect his thoughts about him since this is just the first time he's even thinking about him or hearing about him. So, Clive, there is a moment in this game where Thomas Party plays it out to Emil Smith-Rowe on the left wing. And he's in acres of space. And I think Party may have sold him just the tiniest bit short with the ball over the top. No problem for Emil Smith-Rowe. What does he do? Takes a first touch, beautifully off the outs- outside of his boot, forward, right? Just caresses it forward so he can continue running in stride, full speed. It leads to him cutting it back to Aubameyang for a shot that goes, I think, over the bar on his left from the top of the box. His, his touch is so clean. We haven't had a player that pops up between the lines like that with a clean touch. Uh, well, we, we've had one, but we're not going to bring him up. Um, it, it just it changes everything. The way he is able to manipulate the ball to get him turned and facing and moving forward. The way he sees the options that are there uh, and disguises it. He disguises his passes really nicely. Of The goal for Saka, I mean, when you make that look easy, you think it's easy. But he splits two defenders with the cut back to the penalty spot. And it's it's just the perfect play. There's a burst to get past players that surprises them. There's a delivery from both sides that's perfect. And he doesn't always get it right. But, you know, do you remember the cross he tried to play to Aubameyang later in the game? So Aubameyang's running on the far side of the box. He's on the right flank. He's running down the right flank, and Aubameyang's there. Yeah. And the ball's there to be played, and he just massively underhits the cross with his right foot. And he holds his yeah. head, and he knows he's missed the chance. But you know what I love? That's the ball. He knows Oba's there at the back stick. He knows the ball he wants to play. You're never going to get him 100% right, but his vision and his awareness of where the ball needs to go is so good. And I think there's goals in his game as well, which you know we, we saw he had a chance that he didn't quite get right. So, I, you know, I, as much as I love Thomas Partey, and I think what he's doing right now is transforming a part of the pitch that was a real weakness for us. What Emma Smith-Rowe is doing between the lines, um, you know, I think is a piece of the puzzle that no one has been able to solve over this last season like he has. I couldn't be more impressed with him. Do you uh, do you want to disagree with any of that or enlarge uh, enlarge the praise for him? I need a part. I need a party bit. You don't need to bring him into it. No, no, no. I, I love what party's doing. I'm saying as great as he's been, as great as he's been, you know. But but you know, Smith one's Rowe, the behind right? the ball. One's the behind the ball footballer is the connector, and one's the player that he's going to be passing to. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so Smith, I did a little from one of my YouTubers today, and mm-hmm. the YouTube title of the Smith Row video was a mixture of intelligence and technique. I thought that basically sums him up. Right, so there are many, many decisions in any game of football, but he seems to make more right ones than, than a lot of players that are much older than him. You know, his ability to make to take the ball on the the right foot at the right weight to make the next thing easy for him makes the game look so easy you look at him shuffling around the pitch sprinting one minute diving at tackles the next minute left right center back of his center mid i said one a few weeks ago he does exactly what the game is required i've got so he does exactly what the game requires 
I've got no reason to change that thought process. And I don't think I'll ever change it because he has got football IQ, game intelligence, whatever you want to call it, he's got it. And it's just little things. Like, for example, so Keane's got the ball. He's been pressed by his winger. He pushes it to the left touch line. He's under pressure. He's bringing to the ball. Now, I know, with football, my football head, to play a short pass can be very difficult when you're at 100 miles an hour. You really want to fade it over the top. Smart players know, you know what, he needs me to go long. He goes long. Ball drops at his feet. Everyone thinks, oh, that's great. That's intelligence. He knows the stress his teammates are under. He knows I need to do be available for them in a certain way, which allows continuity. They did a great, brilliant thing on the Monday Night Football. I won't repeat it too much, but again, everything's one touch, which gives the man on the ball time to do his stuff. One touch football. That's been the the mantra for Arsenal's academy for years. We've got away from it with the first team. One touch, two touch max. It allows people time on the ball, separation to do their things, continuity. He just plays really intelligent football. And I just, there's no point in going to, it's a sore football, it's going to translate. It's going to translate. He's going to get better at it as his body develops. That cross-field pass, Elliot, he'll make it. He will make it. He will make that because he's got the power to make that pass. You know, that 40-yard switch play. Once you start switching play from left to right or right to left, everyone's in trouble because at the moment he's playing a rat-attack game, a short space game. Mm. Get it, move, get it. Once he starts switching it, because he, he will develop. He's obviously young for his age physically. He will develop. Once he starts smashing it 40 yards, one side of the pitch, the other, everyone's in trouble. <laughs> he can switch point of attack. He can start shooting from the edge of the area. He can get it out of his feet, bang, shot like Madison. You know, there's much more to come here. At the moment, he's just rat-attacking, connecting us. There's much more to come, much more to come as he grows. And, um, yeah, it's just it's just nice. So we just need one or two more like him, don't we, really? Because I don't want to see him stop playing with a groin injury for three months because we've overplayed him. Yeah, We need to get people like that, those intelligent footballers that allow us to be the team that we know. Most people grew up with the Arsene era. This is a player, we said it before, 2008 Arsenal, slotting straight in. Where do you want to play? You know, you can rotate with Cleb and Riziki and all the rest of it. Very, very easy. Very, very easy on the eye. And intelligence. Football's becoming a game now about what you do and how quickly you do it and when you do it. And um, he gets it. He gets the modern game. It, you can't break these teams down with slow thought process. Very quick, very mm. sharp. Really, really enjoyable. Really enjoyable to watch. Yeah, and I I enjoyed this performance as I've enjoyed most of his performances, but I think there's an interesting dynamic developing here, and I want to get your take on it, Paul. And just so everyone knows, while Clive was making that incredibly articulate point, was Paul listening in rapt attention, hoping to, to add to what Clive has said? Sure, that's one thing he could have been doing. What he did instead was find a tweet from December 17, 2019, showing that he said ML Smith-Rowe would become a star <laughs> because that is something that he wants to be sure that we know. So everybody, please go find that tweet, like it and retweet it. We'll make Paul feel really good. And I just want to say uh, condolences to Carl Marx, who in the reply to that tweet says he's trash League One level. So Carl, <laughs> thoughts and prayers, mate. Um, Paul, one thing that I do think is interesting, though, is uh, other than your, your awesome tweet showing your prescience, 
is that. Uh, and I actually said he'd be a star under, well, I said Pep Arteta, but Mikel Arteta. So, yeah. you know, yeah, specific. No. Yeah. I mean, how, out of curiosity, how much did you wager on it? Nothing. Uh, that's that's I a actually, shame. Tough break, man. No, 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 no. It goes a little further. The the conversation goes further. Somebody bets me twenty quid. ESR uh, won't be a star and won't be at Arsenal in three years' time. And I I didn't actually specifically take him up on that, but I said you'd. I guess you'd can, lose. Can I ask you a ESR. question? Do you, do you yeah. lose the bet if he's not at Arsenal in three years' time because he's at Real Madrid? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> technically, you would lose that. All right, listen, Paul, one of the things that I think is interesting from a dynamic standpoint, though, is one of the players that he exchanged the most passes with is, is Bukayo Saka. He did a lot of work up the right-hand side. You know, his his passes were to Saka and to Cedric, especially in the first half we see him operating on the right-hand side. And I'm wondering, do you think that's by design so that Tierney can can kind of play the, the left-sided overloads a little bit it gets Aubameyang free on the back stick, you know, to, we, we seem to have this thing with Oba where yeah. it looks like Arteta wants Aubameyang to be on the weak side, on the far side to come in and, and get chances that way. And obviously the big chance of the game for him that he misses in the first half comes from that kind of buildup. Or do you think it's more that Smith Rowe wants, you know, is finding ways to get closer to Saka because I mean, obviously Saka more of a, a high touch combination player than Aubameyang. What do you think is behind the, the extent to which Smith-Rowe is operating more in the right half space, more in the right wing than on the left? Yeah, I mean, the picture I have in my mind, I think most people have, which is Smith-Rowe, Saka, Laka, knocking it around to each other. And, like, when I look at his touch, uh, the, I kind of thought he played a bit more centrally than he did. Uh over the last few games, and then I kind of thought, well, how does how did Ozil find his space? And he found it off to the wing. So when I went looking at his touch matches maps, he's actually quite Ozil-ish. He'll spend his time on both wings, but the wing he's spending way more time, and you see much more density of his touch map uh, in much more uh, groupings of his touches where he's kind of pinging it around is on the right where he's going to get that quick, you know, Tierney's going to bomb up and down. Aubameyang is not a high-touch player. All the quick-touch stuff that really suits him is going to come from Saka, Laka, uh, Cedric in this case. Bellerin's really good at that, supporting that uh, one-twos and triangles. We've seen that. So that's that's kind of how they worked it out. And that's going to suit Party because he's the quicker of our two CMs. He's right-sided. Um, so he's going to provide the support for that. So I think we're going to see more and more of that. But yeah. Uh, Saka and Smith Rowe have an understanding and use that on the right. Tierney, Alba, and Chaka in this case, and you know who are whoever our left, left centre back is with Mari or Gabriel are going to mine that left side, and they'll ping some stuff around the middle with Laka to open it up. But we now have two wings we attack on, and it's very clear Smith Rowe is a a key component there. I mean, he definitely goes to the left and plays a support role as he does in the scenario you talked about before where he was running backwards to receive the ball and set up the goal. So he's got, you know, he's got flexibility, he's got range, but he does have a favorite side. There's no two ways about it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I just, I'm trying to decide if that's by design, you know, if it has to do with wanting to get them combined. I mean, do you you have a feeling about that, Clive? Because Saka and Smith-Rowe have struck up this 
this easy partnership, and it, it works so well. Obviously, the irony is that it's Smith Rowe from the left supplying Sack in the center for his goal, but overwhelmingly, uh, Smith Rowe operated in the right half space and, and exchanged passes with Sack out on the right, either in the wing or the half space. So, do you do you sense that that's a design or just an instinct? No, I, I think I think he's more comfortable on the right hand side. If you well, for his youth career, he spent a lot of time as a right winger, you know, and then he moved inside a little bit later. I always thought, you know, when we were predicting players, I always thought he might end up as a right number eight. Um, but he's obviously worked out as a, a mobile be everywhere 10, you know. So um, it's a different style of 10 that he plays, left and right and central. So he's he just goes where required, right? So as we said, so yeah, I think he's always been, well, not always been, but he's, he was a wide player when he was like 17. When he got in England, the 17 World Cup team, it was from the right-hand side, tall, long-striding driver. Um, so I always thought he'd end up with number seven on his back for Arsenal or be that right eight. So no surprise to me. He's just playing with his mate. Well, if you were the manager, why wouldn't you put the two young kids together? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. together. Yeah, why wouldn't you? You're comfortable with each other. You haven't played massively together, but you have played together in the youth teams. And you obviously got a connection. Why, why would you split them to a part? I won't. You know, I wouldn't. You get more output from them, right? They feel comfortable knocking it off. I mean, the goal was te- telepathy, wasn't it? I mean, geez. The way he strode down the left wing, what he did beautifully, as Aubameyang brought the ball to him, he was slow. And then uh, then he said, go. He went. Aubameyang gives him the ball. Now he's on the run. So, you know, I think it's Lascelles. He's in a bit of trouble now. So he's now got, he's at top speed, top speed. Then he slows down again, stops, starts him, goes. Left foot before he can before he can block it, left foot cross, goal. That is smart. That is somebody beating somebody that's bigger, stronger, faster than him, with pure intelligence and change of pace. And he did that and he killed that guy, put him to sleep. So like that's the brain of this guy. When he knows what to do in football situations. And I, I don't wanna I can't stress how important that is in the modern game. You know, we watched players just last week make bad decisions on the pitch, bad passing, not make the squad this week. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And then we watched Joe Willett play in a situation where he plays in a in a frantic academy way where he wants to do so too much and he's not been seen on the pitch in the big games for ages. Get this kid comes on and he's just like, oh, well, this is all right. I know what to do. The ball's here. Left foot, back foot, front foot. Left foot on the run, <laughs> first touch, whatever you want. What do you need? Mm. I can do it. I can do well, it. Well, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just, it's just lovely to watch people that understand the game and then can apply what they've learned in training into games. And that is a dream for a, for a coach or a dream for the academy. They must be watching academy coaches to develop these two players in particular. They must be beyond proud, the levels that they're reaching. They must be. Yeah, so the only thing I was I was going to add to that is just that like it's it is such a coup. I mean, for for lack of a better way to put it, it is a coup to have a potentially world-class playmaker who's 20 years old and a potentially world-class end product laden forward for lack of a, a better way to put that. There's probably a much better way to put that. Who's 19? Then the other one in Martinelli who's a teenager. I mean, that that fixes a lot of problems. I know, I know I'm redundant and repetitive, and I've said this before, but like, you almost can't screw it up. 
it is it is such a coup at a period where we have so many questions about the squad building at Arsenal and so many questions about the direction of the project and where it's going and how we get out from under some of the mistakes we've made. And suddenly you've got essentially three teenagers. I mean, Smith Rowe has just gone 20, who all look world-class in some of the hardest positions to find. Martinelli, a potential nine, and certainly can be a winger. Saka, a winger. Smithrow, a playmaker, all at the same time. I mean, it is extraordinary. Uh, one thing that we should touch on a little bit here, though, Paul, and it, it really impacts two things, which is the Maitland-Niles conversation and the Bellerin conversation, but it, it's the role that Cedric plays. I don't think this is a masterclass from Cedric. I think it is a professional, good, solid performance, and he gets a real nice assist for the third goal, but he does it playing a little differently than Bellerin, and this is what I kind of want to focus on. When you look at the Bellerin pass maps, when you look at the Bellerin influence maps and all that stuff, Bellerin wants to come into a more central position. Now, I've always felt that that was the role he was given, especially when we were playing the back three and he was playing almost like a pseudo midfielder. Now I'm kind of convinced just who he is, and Clive turned me on to this. Bellerin's first touch with his right foot is interior, right? He comes central with his first touch. Cedric is willing to stay wide, stay outside, drive to the the end line, stay, keep the width. And what it does is it pushes Saka closer to goal, closer to the box. Saka got a lot more possession, a lot more opportunities to get into the box, top of the box central, and he's looking for his shots. There was the one kind of a wild shot he took at the top of the box, but I love that he took on that responsibility. Got there, one touch, hit it. Playing a little bit like Pepe in a way, just in terms of finding spots at the center of the box, the top of the box to to get into. But part of the way that that happens is by Cedric staying wide of him. And Cedric gets his goal doing something Bellerin almost never does. I don't think Bellerin had one pass against Crystal Palace that came from deeper than the top of the box. Whereas Cedric had a few crosses from there, including the assist to Aubameyang. So that, that to me, more than Cedric being exceptional, because I don't think he had this exceptional quality where you sit up and take notice. He had a couple really nice, skillful moments. He had a little nutmeg back heel that Arsenal put out on Twitter today that was awesome, and he, and he had a spin move. It was a good performance. But it's the, the keeping of the width and the willingness to drive beyond the forward. Those two things, to me, are very different from the way Bellerin's been playing. So do you think that that was important in this game, and do you think that it's an instruction or just different styles of players? Um, okay, so that's interesting. I hadn't quite thought it through, but I mean, for sure, uh, as I pictured the game, Suarez, you know, he does uh, ha- uh, hang to the to the touchline. Um, I more also, in the second half, by the way. In the first yeah, half, yeah. I felt he was he was more restrained, stayed back a bit. Yeah, and he does have a beautiful whipped cross. It, and, and like now that we're getting four men in the box crosses where we're like, Oh, that, that guy never hits any of his crosses. They never find anybody. Well, they start finding people when you get four people in the box instead of one or two. Uh, and you're wondering why you ever bother, but he can whip a cross, which uh, won't hurt him from wanting to stay out on that, that touchline. It allows Saka to drift into that pocket inside. So that all works works well you know Bellerin moving having a tendency to cut into midfield I mean I I think Bellerin's pretty clever and finds nice triangles regardless but um having that width there uh certainly something that Pep would have enjoyed I think um and like the other aspect of it is we scored two goals basically from cutbacks cutback FC but but quality cutbacks, both of them intelligent, both looking for the man. Cedric was one of them. Uh, Smith Rowe for Saka, another one, where like they were specifically looking for their man. 
I think Pep would greatly approve as we're talking about Arteta coaching attack. And yeah, Cedric had, as he said, in the second half, um, had nice moments. He does have quick feet. I've been, I've been puzzled why he's been so poor in recent times. I thought, you know, you and I disagreed a bit with him at the start where I said, I thought he was doing okay. And you, you weren't quite rating him. And then, Maybe in the middle, I'm like, well, I'm going to stop arguing for the guy because he was just, I just thought he was playing poorly. Mm, and then yeah. suddenly he pulls this game out of nowhere where we can both, he's playing well enough, we can both get our head around the idea he might, you know, on his day, he might be okay. This was a good performance. Um, and he did show some skills and his passing, he, he had a few clever passes and, and mid-range passes. Um, it does give us a different look to Bellerin. Um, you know, I'm not going to go away from Bellerin. I, uh, Bellerin. I like him in the attacking third, but the one thing Cedric does in particular, I think, is that whipped cross. Um, so getting four men in the box, I like that, and he's, he should be the better defender. We need to test that out at Arsenal. Um, we've got a tough run coming up, and defensively, we may need somebody who can stay switched on and can do the business defensively. And not all these games may suit Bellerin, so we might get to see more of this. Yeah. Um, Clive, I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on that, the fullback issue, and maybe we can weave it into just a quick discussion of Maitland-Niles, who at this point, you know, I mean, we don't have to go back to the summer and say what we should have done, what we could have done, but it certainly looks like the exit is more likely than than a, a turnaround at this point. But do you want to first touch on what Cedric maybe added differently and then you can absolutely have a yeah, go with the Maitland-Niles situation? Yeah. I think Bellerin is a... I'll go through the fullbacks, right? It's a position that I look at a lot. My son's a fullback and centre midfield was why I used to play. So there's two areas that I really focus on a lot. And so Bellerin is a very forceful front-footed fullback. He drives, he drives. He's got a wonderful passion for the game. And he puts himself into really high-risk areas, into what I call forward areas. Sometimes that's really good, like in the cup final when he got the, you know, when he got fouled for the goal, etc. And sometimes I think, mate, just hold back, hold back, because you'll get you're blocking our forwards. You know what I mean? And I think I think this is this is what Edric does really well. He supports the forwards in different angles. He's got neat feet, a bit more technical ability. To create different passes, again, Bellerin is very straight lined, but when he goes, he really goes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He's a problem. It's not saying it's a negative; it's a style thing. You know, now Bellerin's personality to play in big moments is greater, in my opinion. And sometimes you can almost see Cedric's play what I call mid-table crosses. Get it, whip it. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes we need to build to play a little bit more. I think he did that really well yesterday. I think it was a couple of cases. He almost put a ball in, but he thought he waited and recycled with Saka and Smith Rowe, and off we went to go again and got a much better shape crossing from there on in. So he's learning the phases at Arsenal. Maitland-Niles now is what you call a defensive progressor. He's not an offensive progressor from wide areas. And I don't think you know his issue is not defending, it's switching on and attacking-wise. When you've got time and you're in a in an easier game, and we need you to do things in attacking phases of the game, your accuracy and the way you bend your standing leg and frame the ball so your passing is correct needs to be on point. You know? This is why if you look at Maitland-Niles' history at Arsenal, a lot of these best games have come in the most difficult games. Liverpool, City, the Chelsea's. 
You know why? Because he's forced to defend one-on-one a lot more in those games. And his worst games have been in the flat-track bully games, where he's got time to think, where he can switch off, where it's too easy for him, what he thinks is too easy, and he's not caring about the simplicity of passing to the nearest man in those easy games. Put him against Salah and Mane, he's probably the best one, right? So, so again, it's just that he was caught out on the day, on his left foot, in a day where he had all the space, the whole ground, and he didn't use it very well, didn't adapt, and we didn't adapt around him. And now suddenly he's out the building. Well, I don't agree with that. I think Arteta's challenged him. Say, how much do you want to play for this team? And that is exactly the right thing to do. Smith Rowe is showing an example of a young player coming in and basically ripping the shirt off of a £200,000-a-week player in William. He has ripped it off his back. It's see you later, mate. You sit down. You can watch me put a tracksuit on. And mate and Niles got the same attitude. I've got to come in and exceed expectations. Paul made an absolutely brilliant point last night. He said, he looks too happy not to be playing. I thought, bingo. There you go. I've I've called him in the past. I've called him a groupie. He looks happy around the players, high-fiving and celebrating. You're not in the team yet, mate. Focus, get in the freaking team. You run faster than anybody. You can tackle everything. Do the, the simple stuff. Play so well, you can't be ignored. I, he's the player I would love. Him and Pepe, the two. You always hear me talk about these two players. Not because I think they're world-class, because I want to get hold of them. I want to. I want to tell them what they need to do. Shaking so baby syndrome. I want to get them. I want to get them and just go. Come on, you're right there. You're at Arsenal Football Club. Are you going to jog it away? Going to jog your career away because you can't be bothered to look at the ball at the right of your feet. It's not about technique. It's about focus on your technique. Mm. Focus on it. I would love twenty minutes talking to him to make sure he doesn't mess his career up. Because people, I remember the last pass you make. They forget the fact that you've had to play on your wrong foot. They don't care, mate. Don't, no, no excuses. You control your game. You control your game by what you do off the ball. Get your body shape right when the ball comes. Work harder in preparation before the ball comes to your feet. Work harder having a picture over your shoulders. Do these things because you can do it. You've just forgotten and you're not doing it often enough. And it's costing you. It's costing you. And when you're not sharp, you haven't played for a month, you have to focus on all of the basics, the fundamentals, the scanning over your shoulders every three seconds, knowing where your picture is of the ball's coming. These things are important. I just want to tell him, because I'm, I, I think it's a shame, uh, a 29-year-old on 65 grand a week on a free transfer on a deal. We wasn't, we wasn't talk about a deal because the player played well yesterday. He's going to kick him out of the club, potentially. And that is a real shame, in my opinion. But... Um, mm. It's football, right? It's not kindergarten. It's football, top level elite football. If you want to end up at Birmingham City or you know or or Brighton, you're on the way, mate. You're on the way. You can change it by how you play and how you show people you want that shirt, and that is the competition you need in the squad. We haven't got to sell someone because we had a bad game. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's it is also the fact that stocks rise and fall, right? Like players look like they're trending in the right direction and then it doesn't happen for them and they have to be moved on. And, you know, some Rob players... Holding. Great example, yeah. Rob Holding. Yeah. How many times you heard me say he can't... His feet of clay and the rest of it. And now he looked like bleeding Maldini last night. You know what I mean? Really good. <laughs> yeah. And, and, like, my concern about him recently has been more his distribution. And some of the passes he played yesterday were 
like he lobs one into the the backcourt for uh, Saka to run onto. Just beautiful. I'm, I have to do a double, triple take to make sure it was him. Yeah. Uh, look, it is it is easily the case that Maitland-Niles could go on and have a great career somewhere else. And he may very well do that. The problem with any of these conclusions is some of them are just situational. It doesn't fit what the club wants to do. You know, not not the right player for the way the team wants to play. There's all kinds of factors here. I don't think Cedric Suarez is as good a player as Hector Bellerin. I could be dead wrong about that. But the one thing I will certainly acknowledge from watching this game is that Cedric Suarez did some things in this game in terms of the spaces he occupied and the way he wanted to play fullback that facilitated our attack a little bit better than some of the ways Hector Bellerin has been playing fullback. Now, I, I am a guy who sees the positives of Bellerin's performance, and I know there are that people that are exasperated by that, but I can acknowledge that maybe keeping the width, driving the end line, you know, overlapping Saka and letting him get more central, those things are important and, and things that maybe Bellerin needs to look at and, and start to add to the way he's playing if that's not just a pure instructional thing. So we'll see. I, I think as we start to sort of move on from here, Paul, one thing I want to finish up with is, is just the idea of how we played with the lead. There was definitely a joy in this game and in the West Brom game about the way we played with the lead. Even with the 1-0 lead in the FA Cup and the extra time, we played a little bit more joyfully. I, I think, I hate to use the term handbrake. You know, it's, it's not only is it the old sort of wenger canard, but it, it, it's very narrative-driven. But there is a sort of hesitancy, a, a nervousness, at nil-nil to the way we play where the final ball isn't sharp enough and the runs aren't aggressive enough and there isn't just that that desire to go play. And then you watch it 2-0. Everyone wanting to get on, on the act. Everyone wanting to get their goal. Seeing that Newcastle were beaten. I mean, how much of this is mentality? How much of this is a style thing? We've seen Arteta with a lead shut it down, sit deep, defend a lead deeper. We didn't do that in this game. You know, I don't know if that's just because this was an easier game for us and Newcastle quit or if he's decided to take a different approach. But the way we played with the lead in this game makes me think that we should be, it sounds so obvious, we should push to have the lead more. But you see what I'm saying, right? That like that extra aggressiveness to get that first goal and be able to play from the front and have more space to play and more joy to play, I think you get a lot more out of this team that way. Do you see a big difference just in in the mentality and the dynamic of how we played with the lead versus at level level terms? I do. I think Newcastle were shite. Um, and having that little bit of extra space uh, to play into encouraged us. But I also think there's something different going on here in that we got... I think it was a pretty healthy first half, a pretty attacking first half, not as fluid as we wanted, not as clicky as we wanted, but it, but we were playing football that f- whole first half. Here here we are playing 90 minutes of of proper attacking football, and we haven't done that a lot this season. We've been waiting to put together like even one full half of attacking football. So I think it's really encouraging that we got 90 minutes where we went for it. We could have dialed off after two goals or three goals, you know, Obama Yang had to go off to take a poo at uh, whatever that was, 75 minutes or something. But like he wanted three goals. Um, you know, he, he, he should have, he should have taken one, not for the team. I'm not sure what the expression is. He probably should have found a quiet spot near the corner flag and stayed on the pitch. Cause there was a third goal in this for him and he's never got a hat trick for us. Everybody else who got on the pitch was looking to get a goal or two. Um, so, like, right through to the end of this game, it was basically, let's go for it, let's play our football. 
um, we, we kind of maintain that. And I don't know if up till now there's been challenges in terms of getting the level of fitness. Uh, but I think a lot of it is once you're starting to click, football is more enjoyable. Things aren't as tiring. It's not as much of a slog. You know, for us to get a goal 10 games ago or seven games ago or six games ago was such a fucking chore that uh, you might go two or three games just trying to create enough situations to score a goals, score a goal. And now it's this fluid thing, which is a payoff for all the good your work you're doing building up to it. You're getting these continual payoffs and it is it incents the team to keep playing in a particular style. It's a lot more fun attacking than defending. And so I think there might be something to that. Obviously, we're about to run into a team or two who maybe won't give us the option to attack for for long periods of games. But against teams like this, been a long time since we put together two two good halves of attacking football where it looked like we should be scoring goals every 10 minutes. And certainly by, uh, I think if you look at the first half again, knowing that goals are coming later on, you'll think that's a pretty good first half and you see a click up a gear in the second half and you definitely think in the second half, we're going to get a goal every 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 it's so hard sometimes when you see a team that's been in the throes of such disarray play with like a verve and a joy and and a effectiveness and then trying to connect the dots and post hoc come up with a reason for it. It is definitely the case that people, myself included, go too far on saying there's no talent in the squad when it's losing and saying that these are world-class players when it's winning, which kind of leads me to the last point, Clive, and I think this is really it now because we've gotten through a run where we went 13 points from 15. And I think it is fair to say that, you know, again, not not to constantly just reiterate what, what Andrew says on the Arscast, but you can do worse things. This is what we should have done, right? This is, this is really what we should have done in games against Brighton, West Brom, Palace, Newcastle. I mean, to be fair, Chelsea is, is you know, I mean, is it an easy game, actually? Well, we can discuss that another time. But now it's Southampton away, United, Wolves away, Villa away, Leeds, Benfica, Man City, Benfica, Leicester away. So between now and Burnley on March 6th, all of these games, Southampton, United, Wolves, Villa, Leeds, Benfica, City, Benfica, Leicester. And the funny thing is right after Burnley at Spurs, none of those are games you go into and say, this, this is it, we're 3-0, easy. And not that you felt that way about any game recently, but, but certainly, you know, in the way we've been improving, you look at that Newcastle game and you target that as one that could be a banker, same with West Brom. We don't have any of those coming up. So Clive, what... What needs to happen now? How important is this run in sort of as the crucible in which this team becomes forged? And we, we really find out. Is it the team that just picked up 13 points from 15 and, and is on the up? Is it the team that's closer to what it looked like when it was struggling that's still imbalanced and needs to be fixed? What, what are your expectations from what looks like a very tough run on paper and, and what the team needs to show over the, the course of really the next month and a half? Yeah, well, firstly, you know, I think we've been podcasting what three years or so. I'm not sure I've ever predicted we're going. I'm not sure I've ever predicted we're going to lose a game. Yep, me <laughs> in that time. Ten nil every game. <laughs> right. So, but I generally, I am not overly concerned about these games. And my reasoning is, I think we play better against teams that play us. 
I have more concern about low block teams. Right, so we've had a few low block teams recently, and but the Chelsea game when they played us, we do fine. You know, the way we transitioned yesterday, we broke into open open field, right? And I, and I think we're good at that. I think I re, we did some Newcastle did press us a few occasions, so we went back to the old school, playing it out from the back and transitioning for the whole pitch. There's a few things that have come in that give me hope. We've got we genuinely got three you know, decent centre-backs, four decent centre-backs, sorry, one's injured. And so we've got some rotation options there. We've got 110 right-backs. We've got one left-back with a kid that not really done that. Can, it's very difficult to replicate that, but on defensive side against better sides, he can do a good, he can do a job out there on a left-back situation. Centre midfield, we found our signings walked in the room and said, by the way, I own this space here. I'll get us going. That's something we didn't have pre-Christmas, you know, and to see Shaka sort of defer slightly when he needed to win the ball for him and give it to him quickly as the game went on was encouraging. To see Onenny come on and realise that he's got to work harder and was sprinting around the pitch doing everything for the period he was on. Again, that's encouraging to make sure we can nurse these two players through this period. Our, our superstar strikers started to float on the grass again. There's some signs here. Lacquer's found a bit of form. We know about the young kids. The worry is we need a little bit more up top. So we need one of Eddie, Willian or Pepe to strike a bit of form. And I'm worried that we're going to need it at a situation where we're 1-0 down the game. They're going to come on and we're going to expect them to be miracle workers. So the FA Cup game against Southampton is really important for their sharpness. So we add some depth on the bench so we can change things during these games. But fitness-wise, health-wise, we're in a decent place. We've got a depth of squad with the youngsters coming in. A little way about certain experienced players form. We're solid. We're keeping clean sheets. And we transition. I'm, I'm all right with these games, mate. Come, come see me in a few weeks' time, obviously. You know, fine margins, the ball is round, the grass is green, all the rest of it. But I'm all right. If we walk into these games where we are now, compared to where we were a few weeks ago... We're in not a bad place. Not a bad place, you know. So um, I don't know if you guys agree with me. That's how I feel about this run coming up. I think if we can get our key players out for each one of those games, you're, the, the the two young lads, Lanka Alba, are generally fit anyway, so that's okay. If Party can stay fit, if Tierney can stay fit, uh, you know, that's five, six players if if – if we're getting them out, I agree with you, Clive. I mean, we're not going to romp through these games and rack up the wings, wins or anything, but compared to, say, last year, I mean, I think against our current fixtures we've played so far, we might actually be a couple of points ahead of last season, miraculously. Um, and I think we can come through these games pretty well on a comparative base. Uh, we're not going to rack up wins, but we may get reasonable number of points. These are fixtures, I think we can look pretty good in with with those players if they're available. I think we're going to hurt some teams that we wouldn't have hurt in the first half of the, the season. Um, we'll, you know, there's nobody facing us this time around if those players are on the pitch for us who are going to think um, they don't have a game on their hands and that we're not dangerous, whereas five, six, seven games ago, we just didn't know how to score. Yeah, and you know what's interesting, guys? I mean, football is a game 
where trends take time to emerge, but where opinions take no time to emerge at all. And I, as someone who is opinionated, I, I concede that's about me too. But like, we we did a podcast about, and believe me, I got an earful from people telling me, ha ha ha, you didn't want the Willian move after the Fulham game. Because when we started this season against Fulham, Willian had his best game that he's had for us and has not looked a fraction of that player since. Um, you know, there are plenty of moments in football that can confirm your bias but don't turn out to be um you know actual impactful realities they're just moments and so i think we're going to find out if these i mean look there are plenty of people go oh say you still don't want the party transfer well setting aside that you know i think you can distinguish whether a player is a good player and whether a move is a good move i mean Lionel messi is still a good player you wouldn't want to sign him this summer right but like i think it's interesting that you know, the guy has played, what, four or five games? He just bossed the midfield against West Brom. We're acting like the Leicester game never happened. Let's see. Let's just take a beat, be excited about the direction of travel. And now let's see. Does Cedric Suarez start one of these next big, tough games coming up? You know, can Thomas Party boss the, the, the midfield against Aston Villa and turn around a game that was pretty ugly for us the last time we played him? You know, can... Can these play? You know, can Smith Rowe at twenty consistently produce elite playmaking performances when the space isn't there? When we don't have as much of the ball, these are the things we're going to find out. And and my hope is that yes, these things will continue to be the case. And and my belief is that that they can be, continue to be the case. But it is always a challenge when you have to express your opinion in the moment, but when you don't learn the real truth of the situation until over a stretch of time. And, and I think that this next month and a half gives us a really, I, you know, I called it a crucible. I think that's what it is. It is, it is a chance where some, some of these opinions will be forged in this crucible as well and proven correct or incorrect. But you know what, guys? Like, we're going to come out of this with that Burnley game before the, the North London Derby knowing a lot more about these players and this team and this coach and, and where we're headed is my opinion. And that will have also included, hopefully, progress to the next round of the Europa League in a very, very tough draw against Benfica. So a lot of interesting discussions to be had and I think interesting conclusions to be drawn over the next six weeks or so. Uh, so unless you wanted to add to that, Clive, did I hear a, a quick intake of breath? Yeah, no, it's good stuff, mate. But this is the fun, isn't it? You know, seeing the journey of these players, how they develop, how the system develops, how the relationships develop. Opinions are just a moment in time. Yeah. Right? They're just mm -hmm. a moment in time. And then somebody learns something about themselves, maybe eradicates a weakness through in coaching or training, and then their opinion changes. You know, we watch Rob Holding, for example, not hit a pass for six months. Suddenly he's back spinning the ball into space and he's stopping <laughs> on someone's foot. Yeah, and now he's just got his confidence. He's got his shape right. And when he first came, he was a great passer and he lost it. You know, and now he's going back again. You know, and it's just like, this is the fun, right? It's not about being right. It's about going on the journey with your thought process. And so we're lucky. We, we, got, we, got, <laughs> we got a platform for, where we can actually talk about our journey and someone can remember what we said and then remind us what we said. Actually, that was just then. And this is now, right? A few weeks ago, this manager was toast. And now he's had four wins out of five. Now, some people are waiting for two losses so they can remind us that he's toast and he's crap and we should have never got him. It's up to you how you want to go for your journey. We just got to respect it, and that's it. But this is the fun. This is the fun. It's watching these players now get tested by a different set of players. Mm. And this is where I do think the coach has got some work coming up. 
because now there's a little bit of stability in shape. And I do, I am now looking much harder at him. I wasn't looking at him before Christmas because I just felt there were situations there that was out of his control, was happened in the squad, etc. I'm looking at him now. Really, I'm looking at him now. I think this is a chance for you to show what you can do from a coaching perspective to get some automatisms, whatever you call them, <laughs> within this squad. And I really think this is the moment. This is the moment that people should be looking at our coach because we've got a group of players that are pretty confident. You know? yep. So let's see what you can do, coach. And that's what you can do. And, and and I'll tell you something. I mean, you just touched on something that struck me. You said, you know, some people wanted him out and then he's won four out of five. And, you know, what are they thinking now? It's almost like what's going on at United. If you could get a United fan off the internet and alone in a room, not that you'd want to be alone in a room with a United fan, and said, are you happy that Solskjaer went on that run? You know what I mean? Because, like, Solskjaer was gone. One loss at Everton, and he's gone. And now he took what, uh, but prior to this weekend, he took 28 from 30 points, something like that. Or uh, 20, uh, tw- 31 of 33 points, something crazy. And... That's the interesting thing about football, right? You can get on a run and it can either give you the truth of a situation or it can obscure the truth. I'll give you another great example, guys. Anybody remember Unai Emery? Anybody remember the run he went on? Was the run he went on, what was it? What did, what did we do? 20, 26 out of 29 points or something? 20, 20 games unbeaten? Something like that? Something insane? What was it? Do you guys remember? I think it's 22 19. games. I want to say 22. I don't yeah. know why, but unbeaten. I think could be right. So was that was that the signal or was that the noise? Was that the truth of the situation or was that obscuring the situation? Well, in the end, it wound up being the obscuring of the situation, not the truth. And so that's why it's so hard expressing opinions in the moment because the information in the moment looks so clear and it's telling you such a truth when actually you don't know. And that's why I love this run coming up because I think we will get a lot more signal and a lot less noise and it'll be interesting to see how it, how it, how it shakes out. And I hope that what we've just seen is a sign of what we're going to see to come. And, and I'm optimistic that it will. So Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Paul. 22 games, apparently. Yeah. Crazy, right? uh, I yeah. was right. I was right, Paul. <laughs> yeah, and, that, and, as you've, and as we all know, the goal is to be right. <laughs> uh, I've got to be right. Oh, thank the, the you. Goal, thank you, Lord. <laughs> the goal, though I, I have never proven this to be the case, is to be right. You wouldn't know it from listening to me. Pa, really? Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name is Elliot Smith. You should be blocking me on Twitter. Yank Gunner. I mean, look. Block me on Twitter. It's that simple. And if you want to hear me lose my absolute run of myself, you can listen to the Instant Reaction Pod on Patreon. We do love you. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, it just means the absolute world to us. And I know these are ups and downs. These are ebbs and flows. And, you know, when I go on to social media after these episodes and sort of see the reaction and seeing how people vehemently agree or vehemently disagree with some of the things we've said, it's all part of it, right? Like, we we are all just having this conversation together, trying to figure out where we're going. These are... These are confusing times in a way because of the the vicissitudes in our performances. But, uh, you know, long may the discussion continue and long may this resurgence continue. That's what we hope. And it will have to continue. This is a tricky one, guys. This weekend, when we talk to you after Arsenal 10, South Shrewsbury nil. 